The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. For over 30 years, Rockabilia has been the go-to destination for all things band merch. With over 500,000 items in their online store and collaborations with today's hottest bands, you're sure to find something you love. Use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total order. So go pick up your favorite new piece of merch now over at rockabilia.com. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Mike Maines of Mike Maines and the Branches. Uh, Their latest record, Memory Unfixed, is out now. Uh, This was a a chat that I kind of leapt at the opportunity to get. Um, For those that maybe aren't aware of Mike, um, he's someone that's kind of local here to Michigan uh, in the sense that uh, he does reside in Michigan uh, as one of the few places he's lived over the course of his life and was somebody that due to me booking shows uh, when I used to do that uh, and a company here in town uh, in Michigan, I should say uh, called fusion shows and more specifically Nate uh, who ran fusion shows. um, He was a strong proponent of Mike uh, and what he did as a, as an artist and a musician and, uh, always championed him uh, and booked him a ton of shows all over the state of Michigan. And that was kind of always the, the beauty of Nate uh, as a promoter locally. Um, if he found a band he really believed in, he would do anything he could to, to help them uh, achieve the level of success uh, that the, he knew that they deserved. Um, I can think of them him doing that with uh, Wilson for a while, with uh, Flint Eastwood, um, there's so many bands I could think of, uh, that he had done that with as well as, you know, nationally touring bands. Uh, I think jealously, um, he had always booked every time I die for the longest time, uh, here mainly in like Lansing and, and Grand Rapids to a degree, but, uh, was something that, you know, I was kind of always jealous to a degree of, of the connections that, that Nate had. Um, but because of Nate and my proximity to him, uh, and him booking shows, I got to know a lot about great artists that were here in my backyard and Mike was, was no different. Um, I've kind of come to know Mike as a, a very eclectic musician, uh, someone who doesn't really fit in anywhere, but fits in everywhere. Um, and I think kind of in that sense is almost like a, like an Imogene heap or like a frou-frou type, uh, artist where they kind of just fit any vibe and any mood, uh, and at a moment's notice, um, and for me, memory unfixed, uh, when I listened to the record, it just, it, uh, it felt very, felt very timely for me. Um, 
it felt like someone who had kind of gone through loss and and taking ownership of things, kind of taking stock of where who they are and where they are and maybe where they want to be. And lately when talking to some of the guests on this show, I, I've kind of made mention more of the records and I don't know if, if these records are finding me when I need them. Uh, if, you know, we collectively as people are just going through a lot more shared experiences. Uh, so therefore things are kind of connecting on a, on a different level, but this is one where even today, um, this record kind of took on a different, <laughs> a different memory for me. Um, it's the anniversary of my uncle passing today. And it's kind of weird. I uh, saw my cousin had posted uh, something about, about him the other day. And it was a thing where in, in the photo that she attached uh, inside of it, it was something that basically they had gone to see Taproot and Disturbed and did a meet and greet. And that she had said, uh, my cousin Lauren had made the comment that during the meet and greet uh, with Taproot and Disturbed, uh, we met Taproot and Steven, their singer, uh, gave my dad a, a compliment on the dragon t-shirt and, and showed uh, the photo with him wearing the shirts. And I had sent uh, Jared, since I have more of a connection to Jared from Taproot, uh, this, this text. Uh, it's the anniversary of Michael passing away and saw my cousin posted this photo with the caption, uh, that music as a weapon two tour was one that now my now wife and I talk about quite a bit as it's another show where we were at the same show, pretty much in the same area, which ironically had happened quite a few times before we had ever met, but before we knew each, each other, interesting to see that the same tour had another connection back to me through my family back home in Delaware. I know you and I had talked a bit about how wild that time was for you in your life. And while it may not have been a financially rewarding time for you, uh, that it's one that has left invaluable memories for me and my family. I uh, wanted to say that to you, and by extension, the rest of the band. Thank you. Hope all is well, and see you soon at the show here, where more memories will hopefully be made. Um, and, you know, I just kind of, thinking, listening to the Mike Maines record uh, today, while not feeling super good, I actually came home early after sleeping the last, like, two days of whatever the fuck this cold is, and just felt something in me that, Maybe I needed to send uh, this message to Jared and let him know that, you know, it, some of the adversities that we go through sometimes and the, the things that maybe we look back on uh, less than fondly, um, you know, means something so much to others. And, and I think a lot of times we're bad at communicating those good thoughts to people, Um so thought I would mention that to Jared, and he was uh, appreciative of the kind words. And then shortly after doing that, found out that one of the regulars at the bar I go to and used to work at uh, passed away uh, after dealing with his bout of cancer second second time, actually. And that one kind of hit me. I immediately was kind of transported back to uh, a day working at the bar, and was kind of, actually, I don't think I was working. I think I was just there on a day off. And I remember Yvonne asking me how I was doing. And at the time, I was not doing great with my dad. And I remember, I remember him giving me the biggest hug. Like, the kind that you... It's reserved for family, essentially. 
I remember just thinking it felt good. And this was someone that in the grand scheme of things, I didn't really know beyond it's this dude I see when I'm working. It's this dude I see when I'm here. Like he's a regular for a reason. But he was somebody that always looked out for people, always wanted people to be happy. And in that moment, it uh, was something where, you know, I just, I always remember that. And feeling that in spite of however I felt currently, that things would change and pass in time, and I just needed to understand that. And that was something Yvonne had told me. He goes, you might be upset now, it might be hard now, but it won't always be. And sometimes you just need to let things go that don't matter, because you may not have the opportunity to, to make those things up. At the time, I didn't know he had already gone through a bout of cancer. Um, and when it came back, you wouldn't have even known because he he didn't burden people with other things. Like when you would ask him how he's doing, this the same the same man that you know embraced me and made me forget my problems that I was dealing with. When you tried to do the same for him, he, he just didn't want it to be about him. And that was something him and I were very similar in. Uh, the fact that we don't like making things necessarily about us and aren't good at compliments either. Um, but he was a great man. And by all accounts, uh, it seems like he's going to be severely missed. Didn't mean to make this such a bummer intro, but I think, honestly, I think it's a very fitting time uh, in the intro and all that. Uh, for this episode, because I think it is, it's raw, and it's real, and it's vulnerable, and it's all the things sometimes in life that we don't like discussing, and don't like feeling like we are either A, a burden, B, we are weak, um, but I think ultimately, these are the things that are actually the opposite. I think they show strength when you are able to show um, emotion and prove that you're not just a fucking machine uh, that doesn't feel anything and I don't know I didn't like I said I didn't mean to necessarily make this what it is but I think this is actually a really great intro into this really great conversation with Mike and I so without further ado this is my conversation with Mike and I will talk to you on the other side of it <laughs> It's so bad. <laughs> it's so hot. It's been uh, pretty bad here in Michigan, at least in Grand Rapids. I can't speak for the rest of the state, but it's been pretty bad the last uh, couple of days here. So you're you're from Grand Rapids, man. That's where I'm currently sitting in my basement right now because it's the coldest part of my house. Oh, that's awesome. We 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 uh, well, we kind of started in in Texas, but I I grew up in, mostly in Michigan, and then. 
a lot of our roots go back to like Owasso, Michigan and uh, mm -hmm. like Lansing area. And my wife, her, her folks have a home up in Ludington, Michigan. So yeah, I'm very yeah. familiar with Grand Rapids. Well, I was going to say, was gonna say very uh, familiar with you through uh, Nate and Fusion shows all those years booking you guys. Come on, dude. Which, uh, <laughs> That's why I wanted to have you on. Where, where were you? <laughs> I'm so honored to be here. What, where, where were you booking in, back in the day? No, I, I wasn't booking. I was saying Nate uh, Duro from Fusion Shows. Duro, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, him booking you. Uh, I mean, I did book shows. Uh, it was a lot of like here in my house or like at Pyramid Scheme, some stuff at the intersection. Cool. Uh, I did some stuff out in Detroit, kind of Royal Oak area, um, and stuff in Lansing, like the Avenue Cafe, Max Bar few other places when i was booking cool awesome yeah nate duro's a legend man he uh it's it's funny because like for a while i used to hate him in a professional setting because i was like damn it you're getting all these great shows that i want or you're taking venue holds <laughs> for dates that i need <laughs> uh and on very random occasions would it work out that we would be able to uh work together like uh one of my last shows that i did many 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 years ago i got to book uh flinnies wood because they needed a date and I had a show, and so I was like, "This is awesome!" I at least get to book a band I really like and wanted to work with, and in that capacity. Yeah, man, that's cool. Um, it's funny. I I don't typically like talking about like the record or the thing because I feel like it really makes uh, this such a timestamp of like this happened clearly in this time frame. But yeah, I'd be remiss uh, to not speak about this record because I feel like it probably is like. In my album of the year contenders, first of all. Secondly, it's like just a great fucking summer record. Like it, it just fits a summer vibe. I am interested to see how it transitions through different seasons, uh, and how the record kind of correlates to those. Um, yeah. But it's the the tone, the guitar tones, and just the sounds on this record are incredible. So first and foremost, uh, congrats on just this monster fucking record finally getting ready to come out. Thank you so much. Um. There's something kind of, it's funny, I've been kind of talking about these things a little bit more for a little, like, kind of poke behind the uh, curtain on press to artist kind of things. But, you know, the press bio for the for the record, I think, is is really interesting. And I think, I wish more people got to see them. Um, but there's something you kind of had said in, in the beginning that really stuck with me. And it says that we recollect memories like paintings on the hall of a childhood home. Certain colors and details stick out to us while others lose their luster over time. Nevertheless, we appreciate what we do to remember as it indelibly shaped our present and eventual future. And I feel like that's such a, an interesting concept first and foremost, but I, I think just kind of speaks to someone who is very aware of being in the present and how it inform and the past and how it informs everything moving forward. So I guess if you wanted to talk a little bit about that, um, kind of how you are as a person that deals with that kind of space. Yeah. 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 It all, <clears throat> everything made sense to me as soon as I figured out what the name of the, the record was going to be, which felt like such a gift from the universe in the form of friend Anna Nunez, who, um, posted this this painting online called Memory and Fixed, and I saw it, and I was like, "That's the title of the album. That is going to be the album artwork." And so, Memory and Fixed for me, um, I think it resonated so deeply because a lot of what I was experiencing 
especially during COVID. And, and I think COVID just kind of exacerbated it more than it already had been. You know, like I had a lot of really, like any human being, I had a lot of trauma and pain and painful experiences growing up. And I had learned how to survive by compartmentalizing or, or putting it into music. Um, but when the pandemic happened, it felt like there was so many of these memories like because I'd finally gotten to a place in my life where I could slow down and catch my breath those things were starting to float to the surface um, mm. and that was really painful it was really 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 dark um, and, and I ended up finishing the record before um, I, I mean, I took a massive step away to work on my mental health and, um, and everything. But yeah, the idea of memory unfixed for me is I feel like I am a human being who has both beautiful memories and unfixed memories that are kind of banging around on the inside of me. And where I'm at today is I feel like regardless of what has happened to me, the best thing that I can do is just to surrender to to the process and take responsibility for my life and do the very, very best I possibly can um, with what I have and what I've been given. Um, and music for me has always been a way of paying the rent of, of being human, you know? I think that's an interesting way of putting it, paying the rent for being human. Um, I think it's funny because like sometimes when I listen to music and I myself having gone through therapy during the pandemic, uh, it was a thing where sometimes I feel like maybe I'm able to latch on to those that have really taken stock in themselves uh, and try to be better. Um, you know, I think the pandemic obviously brought forth a lot of time for everyone to not be constantly moving. Uh, and to kind of deal with things maybe that they didn't have time previously to deal with, uh, whatever that looks like for the individual. But when I listen to this record, I feel like maybe that's why I, I gravitated toward it a little bit more initially is it just feels like someone who's kind of being like, something's not all right, but things will be okay. And we just kind of have to take it a day at a time and also just reflect and, and kind of, like I said, I guess one day at a time essentially is what it is. But I don't know. It's it's funny when you, as you get older, like, you know, about to be 40 in a couple of years, like I'll be 39 this year. But when I think about <laughs> uh, listening to different albums and stuff like that, I feel like some people are on the same life journey as I am based on where they are in age, yeah. roughly. Yeah. 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 It. I think I, I stole that, that, you know, the rent we pay. Uh, from Richard Rohr, he said, pain is the rent we pay for being human. And I, I've just been reflecting on that a lot. Like, regardless of whether you were born in a, on a bed full of money or you were born in, like, the worst part of town, I, I think suffering, trauma, pain, addiction, fear, anxiety, disease, betrayal, lust jealousy greed it's inescapable like there's not a castle in the world that can insulate a single human being from pain um, <laughs> and hardship and experience and 
I, I think as I've gotten older and especially in the last couple of years, been work, been in recovery and working on my mental health, I'm, I'm, I've really come to the realization that step one is absolutely, absolute and complete surrender. And then step two is just realizing it's not my fault, the things that happened to me, but it, but it absolutely is my responsibility to, to say, what am I going to make of this? You know, like I could, I could be bummed that there's a bunch of manure all over the field of my life, or I could scatter some seeds and grow a really, really beautiful garden. Um, and I feel like now I'm, fi- I'm finally at the place in my life where I still, I still spend a lot of time, you know, battling depression and anxiety and really hard times, but I'm more mindful of it now and, and feel like I can still make something really beautiful out of these unfixed memories, you know, um, easier said than done. <laughs> No, absolutely. Um, if you don't mind, you know, it, it's it's sort of become a, a I say it has become a broken record talking about therapy on this podcast. And uh, sometimes I'm like, oh, if people listen to this show consistently, they're probably like, I'm over it always coming to this thing. But I feel like in light of the handful of messages I've gotten from people, friends and, and people who listen to the show saying how great it is to hear people talking about this thing and, and kind of destigmatize it and normalize it. Um, it's why I keep going back to it because I, I feel like everyone's process and everyone's journey is so different um, that maybe the words one or both of us end up saying will kind of help maybe get someone to take that initial step themselves and kind of be on this this path themselves where they have the tools necessary uh, to deal with whatever it is they're going through. Um, that said, there was a moment for me sh- very shortly after starting therapy where it was kind of the light bulb moment where I was like, shit, if I didn't have therapy, like this whole thing would be so different for me. And it was essentially my, a big problem I had initially was the overthinking, over analyzing everything, trying to solve the, the impossible what if scenarios that never come and not being present and in the moment of my own life. And I had my car break down in the bus- busiest part of the intersection on a Friday afternoon. And normally my head and my thoughts initially went to, how much is this going to cost? I This fucks up my whole life right now. And instead, my therapy brain kind of just was like, what can I deal with right now? What are the absolutes I can deal with? I need to get you know this done. And, and I just kind of went down the line of these are the things I need to do to fix this problem currently. Then I can kind of deal with whatever from there. And it was the first clarity moment where it was like, shit, that's therapy. What it's done for me already in a nutshell has there been something along in your journey through through everything of recovery and so forth that you had that kind of aha eureka moment yourself yeah man um i so i was in therapy before getting getting sober and entering recovery um and it it was it was some somewhat helpful um but getting for me um after going to recovery, working on my mental health, being sober now for almost two years, um, I've switched from cognitive behavioral therapy to somatic experiencing. So where I'm like hmm. in a room having conversations with like my ch- the like little Mikey, you know, which sounds like 
have friends that are like, that just some, sounds like some expensive hippy dippy bullshit. People ask me what it's <laughs> like. I go sit in the room and, um, but it, but in doing so, it has changed my life. So therapy, but also therapy combined with um, the 12 steps. I mean, quite literally sitting in a room uh, under fluorescent lights, listening to people talk about the things they're most ashamed of, the mistakes that they've made that they can't erase. Or as one of my favorite lyricists of all time, Aaron Weiss from Me Without You, he would say, there's mistakes I've made no rolling can outrun. Um, mm. That truly was was what began this road to healing and really building a, a new life for me. Like knowing, truly knowing that I'm not alone uh, in not just addiction, but like just in general, um, was so transformative for me and then i learned too like the most effective form of therapy which i i wouldn't think it to be true but it is is group therapy um and a lot of it is because you're looking around the the room and saying oh i'm not the only one who has to dance with these devils every day and if, if these if these other guys gals are are battling with it and yet still somehow managing to go on tour or play shows or raise a family or build a yoga business or fill in the blank, then there's hope for me. Um, that, that's been huge. I think the thing that is interesting about it all, and actually it's something, uh, so I'm trying to do this with the podcast where instead of doing so all the intros and outros for stuff like before, Anything's really happened, like essentially, like as soon as I'm done about done with them and then just trying to get ahead of the work, I've tried to not wait until the last minute, but I've tried to kind of do them more in the moment. So sometimes what's interesting is like this probably won't come out for like another three, four weeks, maybe. And so what's yeah. interesting about it to me is something that you and I talk about in this might come back or be a reoccurring thing or something that I'll think about. So when I go back to do the intro and outro, it'll be interesting to see how life kind of manifested around our conversation. And so I think it makes it a little bit more present and in the moment. Um, but something I did mm. with this this episode that I did last night that I want to start doing moving forward is kind of something I've taken from artists that I follow on social media where they'll put out the gratitude lists. Um, most people do it once a week. Um, something I know they've learned in, in recovery and so forth. And I think it's something that's kind of important because I think it allows you to maybe on a day where you, you might wake up and not feel the greatest, it allows you to kind of realize like the things to be happy for, things to be happy about, what you're looking forward to. And it just can kind of completely change your mindset. And I think that's honestly half of it as I get older, where it's like I could doom scroll on the internet, which I'm slowly getting more and more away from as a whole. But I think mm. if you choose to kind of be more in a positive mindset, how it directly will make things around you be more happier. And, and just the, the change of the shift in attitude changes so much in your life. And it's something I wish more people would maybe take to heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, too. You talk about doom scrolling. Um, 
it, it evolves, right? Like I, two years ago, I took all social media off of my phone um, to avoid the doom scrolling. I still do it. Now it just looks different. I'm like <laughs> doom scrolling and, and, um, and taking YouTube rabbit hole trails or looking at the analytics of my, my band and my business uh, too much, like obsessive and compulsively. And ironically, I was talking with my wife about this last night things are actually from an analytic perspective like hard data they could not be going better for me Hmm. and yet i'm still dealing with anxiety depression fear anger resentment jealousy etc which which for me is in a in a weird way really encouraging because it, it shows me that if I'm placing my joy and my hope in things that are largely outside of my control, even if those things that are outside my control that I've placed my hope in are going well and I'm still not happy, then clearly the seeds for a meaningful and fulfilling life have little to do with what's happening outside of me. And, and a lot more to do with what's happening on the inside and, and what I'm doing to cultivate a healthy view of the world, a healthy view of myself. Um, I re- was reading a quote in the book uh, yesterday called The Spirituality. Religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell. Spirituality is for, oh no. I thought I lost you. I think we're good. I think we're good. Nope. Um, but the quote I read <laughs> You're good. is, there we go. The quote I read is, religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell. Spirituality is for people who've already been there. Mm. Um, and just marinating on that and realizing, um, like you said, there's still even. Oh man, I'm losing it. No, uh, good. Even on hear my you. worst days, <laughs> I. Okay, thankfully. Uh, even on my worst days, there's still so much to be grateful for. I've been married for almost 11 years. I'm getting to do an interview um, to tell the world about my, my album. I'm going to go play in Austin, Texas, one of my favorite cities in the world to play. And people are going to come and, and, and listen to the the band and the songs. You know, like things could be going way worse, you know. And um, so that coming to terms with the fact that like so much of my sorrow so much of my depression really stems from a, the meaning that i assign to the things that are happening to me and if i can do a better job at flipping the script um i, I have a better shot at continuing to to grow and thrive you know but it's hard. It's hard work, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question and I don't know if it's a, as much of a thing as it may be in my head, but going through and deciding to get sober and you said that you've been sober now for, for two years. So first of all, congratulations on that. Um, Thanks. But secondly, I would wonder, was it hard or was there a kind of, I guess there would be a lot of new first, the first times you do something. So what was kind of the first in songwriting, if, if this is kind of your first record writing sober? 
or were there any? Uh, yeah, I, 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 like I'm experiencing a lot of it like right now, right? Like I, I got sober from all, all sorts of things. It's like, I mean, I, 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 as a buddy of mine that I met at a retreat, um, back in March would say, he's like, bro, you're an addict with a capital A, you know, uh, <laughs> everything, sex, porn, uh, money, alcohol, weed, um, food, exercise, everything, man, workaholic, all, all, all the things. I, I just, I'm an addict with a capital A, check all the boxes. Um, and being on, on the tour that I'm on right now, um, is the first time that I have not been coping with substances. Um, mm. And by coping, it's not like, like my relationship with alcohol was never, uh, I'm going to just get blackout drunk after every show or before every show, or I'm just going to get stoned all the time. It was more so like, oh man, I, I probably had a, too many before the show. I didn't play the best show. Now, I had a couple after the show and, and I just don't feel good. And then that leads to not sleeping well. And then that leads to waking up the next day and just not feeling good. So um, now the being sober on one hand is really difficult, right? Because I'm realizing like when I was watching porn, when I was drinking too much, when I was smoking too much weed or all of the above, I, I was really running away from pain i was really uncomfortable with the reality of whatever situation i was in whereas now i've i've taken those ways of coping off of the table so now i'm i'm really only left with just feeling it completely and that is really difficult and it's led to even difficult conversations on the tour i'm currently on and yet at the same time not being under the influence of, of anything, I feel like I, for the first time in my entire career, I feel like I have the mental capacity, the emotional capacity to handle those things because I'm not putting a substance in my body that's preventing me from being fully present. I think that's something, I mean, just being fully present, I think there's a magnitude of ways that we don't do that. Um, you know, it's funny. I <laughs> I was at the bar the other day that I worked at. My wife was out of town, so I just, like, had nothing really to do and didn't want to sit at home <laughs> yeah. for a whole weekend. And, you know, it's the bar I used to work at as a door guy. And so a lot of times it's hard for me not to kind of go into that same capacity. And I, I did it too when booking shows. I just, I kind of will experience everything watching other people experience the same thing. Um, and just seeing how uh, we, yeah. we all are, are different and how we take in the same experience essentially. And something that I always find interesting is watching people who will have like 10 or 12, 15 people at a bar and like no one's looking or talking to each other. It's like, here's a little conversation here, but most everyone's on their phones. And I'm like, why the fuck did you come out to a place, a public place to just be on your phones together? Like, that's weird to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's almost like people are afraid to, to put it away and have that barrier. It's almost like a comfort blanket where it's like, well, if something gets awkward, I don't want to interact with this person. I can just disappear into my phone or whatever the phone happens to be. It could be a, like something else, but 
uh, it's just interesting to kind of see how people aren't willing to kind of deal with things kind of head on or just be present, I guess. And I don't know. I think uh, as I get older, it's something that I tend to try to do a lot more in my life. And it's just interesting to see how people aren't and don't do that. And I would even question too, because like there was a, a part, a line that stuck out in, and I'm forgetting the song title because I don't look at my phone when I'm listening to the album. It just plays and it just goes on a constant cycle um, when I'm at work. And so there's a line though where you talk about if only my church friends or my Christian friends, I can't remember what the line is specifically. Um, yeah. But it talks about that. And I just kind of kept latching onto it going, it's funny how sometimes I think we even will categorize our own group of friends and like kind of put them in little boxes like, this is who I am to this person. Here's who I am to these people. And we're never maybe truly our full self to, to maybe anybody. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm, I'm so pumped that you caught onto that line. Uh, <laughs> so these, these twisted thoughts are ones I keep from my Christian friends. They'd all say my poison faith is dead. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, um, it, a, a lot of that was me kind of really doing my version of like walking into the temple and flipping tables. And I understand the complexity of the statement I just made. Like I'm not trying to be a white guy with the savior complex at all. Um, and I understand like he who is without blame cast the first stone. Like I get it. Um, and, but I, but I do think, there was just this real righteous indignation in the way that the church responded to a police officer murdering George Floyd. Um, and yet at the same time, I've also played shows after that happened and had police officers who are fans of my band come to the show and stand at the very back of the crowd uh, and, and the audience and then come up to me after the show and shake my hand, say they really liked even the song Losing My Head. And I said, why did you stand at the back of the crowd? Uh, and they're like, well, just in case anything happened, I wanted to make sure that I could look out for everyone here in the room. And so I, what, I, what I'm not saying is, is I'm making these grand sweeping statements that everybody is either all this or all that. What I am saying, though, is that there is systematic and racial injustice within myself, within america within the church within the the judicial the judicial system the justice system etc um and i used to feel like well it's not my place to call anybody out because i'm i'm just as screwed up as well it's like well i guess if i'm willing to call myself out and live a life that is devoted to being the best version of myself that i can be and helping others do the same I, I view it now less like I'm calling people out and more like this is something that I owe to people to say, hey, I feel like you've got a blind spot. And as someone who loves you and respects you, I think you owe it to yourself to reconsider, you know, um, and not everybody is willing to hear that. And, and that's OK. Um, they're on their own. They're on their own journey. And ultimately, my, my main responsibility is to just love them. I think what gets interesting for me in the last couple of years, and I don't mean to necessarily take this in like a political rant because it's not really the nature of the show or myself even, but it's interesting <laughs> because I, I feel like living here in Michigan, 
I'll, I'll just kind of focus on Michigan specifically. I feel like as more of an empathic person, I feel a sort of responsibility for like the Capitol rights because we had the, the taking over of uh, our capital in, in Lansing. Like we had the yeah. Capitol riot of sorts there. And that was the precursor essentially to what happened on the, in the white house. And I feel like had, had that not gained new, such like news coverage and not been so seen as like, well, you can do this where, and especially for those that don't know the Lansing area, but like where the capital is, there's a, like, it's the biggest hospital in that, that area. No one could get to it. And it's like, it just made me think yeah. about how selfish people are that to, push their own political agendas whatever they're willing to put others in little literal like health like put put someone else's health to the side to, to push your political agenda and that there were no real repercussions of such actions made it seem like it yeah. was okay to do this on a way bigger scale fast forward you know a few more yeah. months obviously uh george floyd was a big thing but you know we had uh patrick uh Loyola. um i might be mispronouncing his last name but uh, an unarmed black gentleman who was pulled over by a, a Grand Rapids cop and shot uh, execution style and yep. feel and it caused riots here in, in our city and it's just weird and I know this happens probably for a lot of unfortunately happens in a lot of other cities, towns, all over the world and so forth but it's interesting when you kind of see it happen kind of in your own backyard so to speak and feel like yeah. all the eyes of the country are on you and how are you dealing with it? And how, and like, and it almost, if nothing happens, then it almost gives everyone the permission, like, this is okay. And it was one of the first times really kind of feeling outraged by it all and kind of being like, is this what being, is this what being an adult is where you kind of look beyond yeah. yourself, even in that capacity? So I think maybe that's the other reason yeah. why that, that line kind of maybe the white privilege of sorts kind of line resonated with me a little bit more as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate you know, I've I've always hesitated to to write those kind of songs because I'm I'm not even remotely as educated as my wife or our friend CJ who is out on tour with us right now is also incredibly informed when it comes to things in in the political sphere like. I, I have my convictions, but I'm also like willing to admit that I'm really ignorant, you know, and I was sharing mm. um, in another interview earlier, like no one needs another white guy with a guitar and a savior complex. You know what I mean? Like we, <laughs> I, so I, I am not interested in being that guy, but I did. I, I just, especially seeing the way that a lot of folks in the church responded to what had happened. Um, enough is enough um and i was really angry and i i wanted to vent that anger and call out this way it was on authentic and objective and not self-serving so i hope i did that i, I mean i i've <laughs> As as one other <laughs> white man who plays a guitar as well, <laughs> I guess uh, you know it just you kind of uh, hit some of the things that I've I've been thinking uh, internally uh, quite a bit on the head, and it just is one of those. Like I said, listening to this this record, uh, it's it's something where I feel like I got a pee 
something I've really been leaning more into, especially since a lot of times with these uh, press, the media links and so forth, I don't get lyrics. And it almost is interesting to listen to a song or listen to an album multiple times over. And obviously you'll pick up something different each time, but from a lyrical perspective, it's interesting to see what you gravitate toward when you don't know kind of what's coming and you're just kind of like fixated on this, this phrase or this, this lyric or whatever and how it resonates with you when you don't know it's coming essentially. Like you, you can't read it as it's happening and go, Oh, okay. Like, so I feel like there's a little bit more, I don't want to say a supernatural type thing, but it's interesting just to see how our, our minds will latch onto something when we don't have any preconceived notions and, and how it will inspire thoughts moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, and encouraging that I feel like the good ones in my experience, I feel like the good songs always come really quick and, and losing my head. I, I wrote the lyrics for that song in probably no more than 10 minutes. Mm. Uh, and for every one of those songs, there's anywhere from 10 to 50 that are just garbage that get thrown away. <laughs> and um, I used to feel like, man, my batting average sucks. Uh, as long as you now I just feel like, right? <laughs> uh, whereas now I just feel like every, every song that doesn't see the light of day is a step towards the song that will see the light of day. And it's, it's a learning process. Um, and, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that um, you're picking up on, on, you know, the, the hard work I put into that song means, means, means a lot. So I got a couple, like, cause I don't really ever prep for these. I just kind of think of things and wherever the conversation yeah. goes, it goes, uh, which is fun, which is nice. Cause it allows you to be more present and in the moment, sort of a reoccurring theme. Um, but I, you know, knowing that your wife is is in the band and such a huge part of of your professional life, it makes me yeah. wonder. As someone who's been married, been with my my wife for thirteen years, going to be celebrating eight years of marriage this year. Um, Congrats! It's a th- thank you. Uh, it's a thing where I love talking to other couples who are so who do like one of them at least doing something or at least being tied together in some capacity in a creative endeavor because. I feel like something that is interesting to ask is how do you find quality time for each other because so much of your life is being surrounded by each other in, in a professional setting as well. So how how do you two, yeah. if you don't mind ask or if you don't mind answering, how do you two navigate finding the time to separate your professional lives from your personal lives and, and not feeling, I guess, smothered by the other person? Yeah, yeah. Man, I... I feel really, really grateful that I married well. I, mm. I, I just feel like we, she had been through, Shannon had been through a lot. I had been through a lot. And we were both folks that um, each other's parents had gone through really painful divorces. And we, we just really wanted to find a partner that was just that a partner and a companion for life. Um, I, I never put Shannon on a pedestal. She never put me on a pedestal. Um, I'm reminded of what Allie told Bono. Um, and she said, don't look up to me. Don't look down at me. Look at me in the eyes, you know? 
which is this beautiful poetic way of saying like, we're equal, we're partners. And so I think from day one, Shannon and I have, have done that. Um, and as far as, yeah, how do we do this? And how do we find quality time and, and all of that? Man, I, one thing that's been, been really huge is in between tours or on the front end or the back end, uh, we try really hard to have at least a day or two. Sometimes it's only an evening or an afternoon to decompress. And it's very basic. It's like, let's order takeout and watch Netflix. Uh, recently, it's like reruns of The Office. We be talking. It's, um, we might not even be having a conversation. We're just being present. Um, and now we... As often as we can, we just get our own hotel room, which for me as a person in recovery is really helpful for me to just stay balanced emotionally, spiritually. Uh, But it also gives us time to check in, like, how do we feel like things are going with the band? How do we feel like things are going with each other as individuals? How do we feel like our marriage is going? Um, and, And even still, it's not always easy. It's it's uh, it's a challenge, but I I don't think I can could do this um, the touring life. Uh, I don't think I'm cut out to be a guy that would be away from my wife for months at a time. God bless the guys that do and can, but I I'm just not wired that way. Um, and so it, it is interesting. It feels like we we shift into different gears. Like there's she is my my best friend, my companion, my lover, my confidant, and yet also when we're on tour together, it just feels like um, we're bandmates. We, we built this thing together that we're really proud of and um, we're trying to protect that and serve and honor our friends who are here to, to be a part of that as well. Uh, a very long-winded way of saying it's super hard, <laughs> but we're, <laughs> we're faking it hopefully somewhat well it's funny i i uh just went and saw my parents uh, a couple of days ago this past weekend and it was funny because my i guess my grandfather's not doing well so my my mom has to go back home uh back to delaware uh to go see him and see how he's doing and all that kind of stuff and my dad was saying that it'll be one of the first times where they'll be separated for like a week or so uh since they've been married like that long and at the time, like I had said earlier, my, my wife was out of town and he goes and my, my mom's there. So the two of them are talking to me. And so he was like, you know, your wife's gone or you know, Bridget's gone right now. Uh, I think earlier in the year you went to Seattle for like uh, four or five days. Like you guys kind of consistently will go do and have trips to yourselves. Uh, you'll go do things on your own. Do you find that that's harder? Do you think it helps? And I go. I think it's a little bit of both. I think when you're in a relationship that long, you kind of know the other person well enough that sometimes, you know, and I joke, I was like, there's stuff my wife wants to do and I'll go to be with her. But there are other times where there's things where I go, I would rather not go because I'm not into this and I don't want to ruin your experience with it um, and just kind of be a downer about it. And to me, I, I was like, sometimes I think that's what keeps our relationship doing well is that we have that time to kind of go and do our own thing and still kind of get those things out of ourselves and not feel a resentment toward the other one for, for having that space. And 
I said, I was like, for, for us, it works. I was like, that may not work for everybody. I go, it, it's, I go, I guess that's the thing that I've come to learn. I go, you know, it's funny that you guys being married for, you know, 20 or 30, sorry, 20, 38 years going on 39. It's like, it's funny that you're asking me advice on how to handle something in a relationship. When to me, I yeah. feel like you've handled so much uh, that I guess it just kind of speaks to the fact that everyone has to kind of can still learn and that every relationship is different and even a marriage or whatever. And there's no one right way to do something. So to me, I just, you know, it's almost why I still do this podcast and why I love doing it because it allows me and hopefully the listener as well to learn something uh, to maybe yeah. better themselves at some point, whether you realize it or not. Um, so I, I kind of love asking these questions and just kind of getting an understanding of how does someone else make a relationship work? Cause maybe you'll say something and, all of a sudden, like in a couple, maybe not today or tomorrow, maybe a year or two from now, you'll say something or something will happen. And I'll go, man, I remember when Mike was saying this and this is how like it works for him and his wife. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to use that maybe as a, something to integrate into my marriage or a different relationship. Yeah. 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 It's so true. I, uh, I remember reading somewhere that Will Farrell's wife and kids don't think that he's funny. Yeah. And like Jim Gaffigan's kids don't think that he's funny. And I, I think what I love about like the little family that we have, Shannon and I have, as well as like Josh, who's been a part of our band now for probably five years, I would say. And CJ, who is also like a very integral part of what we're doing. Like uh, I was telling Shannon this literally last night in the hotel, I said, the thing that is very comforting to me is, and what I mean by that is like my, they, they don't put me on a pedestal. They don't talk up to me or down to me They're They just love me as I am like bumps, bruises, scrapes, all, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff as I am. And that's, I, I feel like a healthy marriage, a healthy friendship, a healthy band, a healthy community is really a group of imperfect people <laughs> willing to be vulnerable about the, the beauty and the pain of their existence and all having the ability to be that vulnerable because they know regardless, they're going to be loved either way. Um, right. And, and the gift that it is for me is like, it helps me not take myself too seriously. Um, and, um, it, it helps me tame, tame, tame the ego. I think there's like a dark, unhelpful ego, and then there's a healthy ego. Whereas the ego that I feel like it, they're helping me develop is one where I no longer, I don't even think of this as like my band or my project or my thing. I, I view it like this is a community that exists that I'm a part of, and it's an honor that, I get to be here and I'm humbled that anybody would want to be here. Be honest with me about my shortcomings so I don't screw this up. <laughs> and um, ultimately we can do what we're trying to do, which is go into rooms and play music and sing songs that make people feel less alone. Uh, Cause it was Grand Rapids, Michigan, baby at the intersection. When I was 15 years old, I was watching murder by death. Every time I die, uh, open for Thursday on a Thursday, 2002, uh, July 3rd of that year. 
and that show, like a room full of a bunch of emo kids with daddy issues, uh, I was like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And um, so every day is a gift. It's an honor to do this, you know, and to be surrounded by people who are willing to to tell me about the things they feel I'm doing well and the areas I can improve in. Kind of the, I guess I'm going to speak to that and I'll kind of let you go. So that way you're not bombarding and making everyone be quiet in the, on the car ride. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's funny. Hey, you bring up that show. I believe I was there. uh, Every time I die, it's one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, And it's funny. I've, I've sort of been joking, but I realized there's probably an ounce of truth in it that them breaking up kind of made me, a little leery, I guess, of, of investing so much into bands and, and so forth, because I spent 20 something years going to see that band all the time. Yeah. They come to Grand Rapids or Michigan as a whole, buying the records, T-shirts, all that stuff. Then it's like it doesn't take away with from any of it, I guess. I'm just kind of maybe getting older and realizing that they're just things and like I don't need things all the time because the memories still exist. Um but it is kind of interesting that sometimes I will be like, I don't know if I want to go to that show. Cause it's like, I don't know. What if they break up? Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's kind of made me a little leery of being such a, a super fan of, of a band like that and committing again, just to have your, your heart broken. Like, you know, I, I do it enough with uh, getting dogs essentially. Cause that's, you know, you know what you're signing up for with that experience. Uh, yeah. But it is, uh, uh where's I going to go with that? Um, I, I do, as you were kind of talking and as we've talked sort of about, uh, you know, the record kind of uh, self-improvement therapy and all these kind of different things, it, it does kind of make me wonder, as you were saying there toward the end, you know, how privileged and honored you feel that people, you know, tell you what their your music does for them, that they come out and support you and, and just the community and everything. It does make me wonder, is it hard for you sometimes to take in some of the things people may tell you that the music, like the, the life experiences that they've gone through yeah. is that tough, tougher now maybe for you. It feels. And I, I don't like, mean to cut you off. I don't want to, I just also want to clarify. I'm not saying that people doing that is a negative thing. I just am yeah. wondering and asking the question of what does it do to you personally now uh, in light of everything we've been talking about already? Just to clarify. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's always weird, right? Because I, I feel like um, in my in my early days of the band, I, I was a kid that was like trying to prove my dad wrong. It was like, you'll never make it doing music. And I'm like, well, watch me. And I just had this huge chip on my shoulder. I was going to prove him wrong. I'm going to do it and no one's going to stop me. Well, then you, then you do it. Uh, and for me and I, and I was still miserable. So clearly like, well, playing the game that way and winning the game, I still kind of lost because, mm. uh, I, 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 I missed, I missed the whole point. Like, um, because for me, the trophy, the reward was always the, the writing of the song. Uh, mm sharing it with people and getting that kind of positive feedback loop um, was frosting on top of an otherwise really amazing cake. But then when I started to get um, really depressed and really anxious, 
I think to an unhealthy degree, I fed on getting feedback from fans and like, oh, this song got that many likes or this song got that many plays or um, it it's almost like Shannon used to say, if the band's doing well, Mike's doing well. Mm. Um, so that was really dangerous, you know, whereas now, um, two years sober, going into situations now, like I was in Denver maybe two weeks ago and there was a wife and husband, really sweet young couple that came up to me. They've been fans of the band for, since they were like teenagers. She said that they've been, they'd gone through a really hard time in their marriage and uh, (laughs) I'm getting so choked up. Um, But that he had gone through some really, really, really dark suicidal um, times in their marriage. And I look over at him and there's just tears going down his cheeks. He's a complete mess, you know. And then they gave me a big hug. Two years ago, that would have fed my ego in a way of where it's like, cool, well, I'm glad you're not dead. Please, you know, like super um, self-absorbed. Whereas now it's so sacred to me that people would want to come and listen to the music. It's another level of honor and privilege that those individuals would literally wait hours after a show to talk to me and want to communicate what what we're doing means to them. Um, so to, to me, it's, it's just such a, it's an honor and, and it, it motivates me because um, almost on a daily basis, I deal with like, when are the wheels of this whole thing going to fall off? (laughs) Yet we keep going. Things are growing. We're on like what feels like a really great upward spiral. Um, And on, but on my dark interactions helps me to go, Hey, you're on the right path. And whether you feel like it or not, your music is making a positive impact in people's lives. Like I, I didn't get to say that to a lot of my heroes growing up. Um, but I'm, I'm doing this because of what my favorite band's music did for me when, when I was coming up, you know? So it's always an honor when someone takes time out of their day to let me know what, what my music means to them. That's huge. I think you, this is a great wrapping up point because it's, it's something I've actually been talking about quite a bit because doing this show, I ended up kind of hating music for a while because it just felt like a job. Um, I lost the love of it. Uh, I've made the joke, you know, the worst thing. I love music so much that I have worked in so many different facets of it, trying to find my way into it that it made me essentially hate <laughs> all facets of it between, you know, booking, like being in a band kind of makes you kind of hate people or the egos of bands. Uh, booking shows kind of makes you hate some of the behind the scenes stuff of, you know, the ego of bands, the sliminess of promoters, booking agents, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Writing about it, it's a whole different facet, but it also makes it to where when you do all these things, all it does is make you look at the industry and this thing that you love so much from a completely different perspective like i can't go to a show anymore without thinking what's the guarantee how much does this cost what's the money coming in is there a door deal is you know all those things can't do it anymore um 
So it kind of ruins it for me. And then, like I said, from booking shows, I also can't help but watch the show from everyone's different perspective of, are they enjoying it? What's going on around me that I'm not really experiencing it myself necessarily. Um, but I, I just kind of in recently and probably like the last, like I'll say eight months or so I found kind of my why again. And it sounds like indirectly you've kind of found your, a new why for you, uh, and what, what doing the music and everything means for you now to move forward. Yeah, man. I mean, one of my musical heroes, when I was going through a really hard time said after this long pause, you know, he goes, Van Gogh never sold a painting. And that, and now they're, you know, his art and his paintings are in museums all over the world. So, uh, it, it reminded me of why I started and the fact that this is part of what I get to do, like as, as a job is, is crazy. And so it's an honor, you know? So, um, I heard it said, we lose our way when we lose our why, you know? So hmm. I, I do this because I love it. It saved my life and um, it's an honor. So John, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate you making time for me today. Yeah. Uh, last question for you. Where can anyone find you or anything you'd like to plug online? Yeah. MikeMamesMusic.com. And you can find everything, everything you need there. Awesome. Well, I know you are speaking to Grand Rapids and kind of keeping it local here at the end. I know you are playing here in October on the 27th. It's a Friday night, so I will uh, do it. my best to uh, come and hang out, and hopefully we can uh, link up and, and meet each other in person and uh, just kind of uh, maybe carry on a conversation without it being recorded. Uh, yeah. Shout out and link up again. Dude, hit me up. We'll throw you on the guest list, man. Absolutely. I'd love to see you at that show. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day and have a great show tonight. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. Take care, buddy. So that was my conversation with Mike. Want to thank him once again for taking the time to chat with me while on the road to the next gig. Uh, also want to thank, by extension, his uh, his bandmates uh, for being quiet during this conversation. Uh, I know that makes it a little bit harder to enjoy the mundaneness of being on the road when you uh, have to be quiet for somebody else. Um, but it was greatly appreciated. And Honestly, this conversation lived up to what I had hoped it would be, and and even more. Uh, like I said, sort of in the the intro of getting to know Mike's music over the years of, of him being around and kind of being more of a quote unquote local artist. Um, it's interesting, and I don't know if anyone else really has this thing where there's a band of yours or a band that's from your area that you still view as a local band, uh, regardless of how big they've since gone on to be. Um, but it's one of those things like there are just certain bands where in my head, I'm like, that's just a local band to hear. They're, they're not, it's wild that someone from somewhere else other than in the regional area of like maybe Ohio, Illinois, whatever would know of this artist. Um, but obviously, uh, Mike's been doing it for a long time and this new record memory unfixed, uh, it's really, really good. Um, like I said, I've been listening to it since I got the advanced copy. I've been listening to it since it's come out. Uh, I do think it is one of those records where there is something there for you. And whether it just be the music uh, that you really dig, like if you have a really nice pair of headphones, I, I strongly encourage you to listen to it uh, in headphones and, and just kind of take in all the different textures and sounds and all those kind of things. But also, if you, I guess if you're willing to, uh, take in the lyrics, really take them in. And 
feel it. Um, I think that's the thing for me with this record that really kind of resonated with me right out the gate was just it. It I guess I already said it, it resonated with me. It, it the lyrics really touched on a lot of things I'd been thinking and feeling, and and lyrics that I picked up on and I'm still currently picking up on uh, upon different listens. Um, it's one of those things. I, I think this is going to be a record that just continually grows, and honestly, will be one I'm interested to see what happens in like five, ten years to see where when I listen to this record then what memories will I have associated with it versus what it unveils to me then. And sometimes I think that's that's the beauty with certain records, and I think this is going to be one of those records for fans of Mike and, and anyone who listens to it. I think it will be a, a, a repeat listen, and I think it will be a an album that you can grow with over time and will reveal more things. Um. So all of that said, let's start wrapping up this uh, this outro because I kind of, you know, sort of babbled on in the beginning um, with some heaviness that I've been dealing with today. But uh, as much as I have said uh, over the last couple of years now, um, these intro and outros, I want to be more real and, and open and honest about who I am and where I'm at in my life because potentially I might go back and listen to some of these. And, you know, I, I kind of would like to remember them more. I would like, I have a good memory for things as it is, but I also realize I'm equally bad at this in real life with taking photos with friends and taking more photos with me in them because in my head, I'm like, I will remember this, but it's in certain situations, you know, something that jumped out to me when I looked at my, my Facebook memories today and saw that, you know, today was the three anniversary of my uncle passing. Um, one of the first things I, I noticed right away in the in the long thing I wrote about you know my memories of him was I don't have photos with him, and if I'm being honest, that's a common theme uh, between me and a lot of people. I would say other than my wife, maybe a few other people. That's that's kind of a common theme is I do not have photos with them because I don't feel the need to to take photos to remember something, um, and then it's way after the fact that I, I wish I had. Um, so it is one of those things where I guess maybe that's, maybe that's the takeaway from this, you know, uh, memory unfixed, uh, being an album title, uh, maybe I can learn to unfix my, my brain from thinking that I need to not take photos for myself to remember good times and bad times and whatever. Sometimes those are just as valuable as living in the moment. Um, so heed that advice maybe, uh, from now a not a 39 year old, I just celebrated my birthday a few days ago as I went on recording this. Um, take the time. Take the time to appreciate the moments you have with the people that you love. Um, and not everything is always as bad as it may seem. So without further ado, uh, if you like keep up with Mike, uh, you can follow him on Facebook at Mike Mains Music, Instagram at Mike Mains Music, and Twitter at, you guessed it, Mike Mains Music. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast, you can find us simple enough at Bruce Speak Pod on all your social media platforms. If you would like to email me, you can do such at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. It helps greatly. Uh, always appreciate the, the feedback. Uh, actually just got some weird notifications from uh, apparently Instagram, or not Instagram, sorry, on uh, Reddit uh, that... I guess I had missed a handful of notifications uh, about being tagged in different stuff on Reddit. And there were a lot of people who, when people were asking for podcast suggestions, had suggested this podcast. And 
uh, was kind of humbling uh, to see me see this show in the list of some other really fucking good podcasts. Um, I, I don't hold myself in that regard, but uh, it's it's nice to see that other people do. So um, share the word however you can of this podcast. That's how it grows. And uh, a thank you for listening. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I will talk to you all next week where my guest is Danny Warsnop of Asking Alexandria. That was a really, really fucking honest conversation at times, and I cannot wait to share that one with you. So until then, have a good rest of your week.